أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن شاء الله تريز سورة السورة البينة another very deep surah that Allah سبحانه وتعالى revealed most probably towards the latter part of Mecca so towards the end of Meccan period and because there's hints for Ahlul Kitab, who are the people of the book, and uh, this is something that, you know, there's been a lot of debate about whether it's Meccan or Medina, but most probably it's late Meccan. Just eight ayat, but very profound lessons for us uh, in these times today. So what does Bayyina mean? Uh, the clarifier, you can say, you know, something that clarifies truth from falsehood, something that helps you understand something in a more clear manner. Bayina uh, also comes from bain, which means tabayun, to separate two things from each other. Sometimes to understand something, you need to separate it. Okay? And that's something that we learned back in biology. Um, when they teach you biology, they usually separate different organs, right? They separate the study of the nervous system and then the study of the skeletal system and the study of different organs. Why? When you separate things and study them separately, then the bigger picture makes more sense. Same thing with tafsir studies. The best way to study tafsir is one, to have like an overall view of the surah, and then to study it ayah by ayah, and then to study it section by section, because the surah is split into, first of all, the whole surah, then paragraphs or sections, you can call them, and then ayah by ayah, right? So, and then of course, the bigger picture would be the context of this surah, in relation to the other surahs around it, before and after it. So there's different ways of uh, applying this concept of bayan into different uh, areas of our life to, to understand people more, you know. Uh, similarly, you want to understand who a person is. What do you need to do? You need to do tibyan. You need to try to, you know, understand this person. How do you understand this person? By asking questions. And the more they reveal about themselves, the more you understand them. And so bayan is also used in uh, speech. For talks, bayan is usually used in Urdu because, um, you know, ideally the speaker is supposed to talk in clear speech so that it's understandable. And, um, you know, there's, there's one of Allah's beautiful names is Al-Mubin, the one who clarifies to us. And, uh, you know, An-Nur is another name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, An-Nur, light. Because what does light do? Light also helps you see with clarity. And what's the opposite of light? Darkness. What does darkness do? Darkness prevents you from seeing, right? And that's what shaitan's works are. And so that's, that was just like a basic overall of, of the overview of what bayina means. What does bayan mean? And what does it mean to see? And if you notice, what I, what I try to do right from the beginning is show you how this surah is divided. It's divided into three parts. Okay, the first part is going to be talking about what is bayina. That's ayah number one, two, and three. And then we're going to understand what is the separator. Because remember, bayina means what, one that distinguishes right, and separates also. So we're going to understand what is the separating factor in section number two, which is ayah number four and five. And then section number six, or section number three, which is ayah number six all the way till eight, Allah will tell us what is the separation. What are the two groups that were separated? So it's a pretty... Uh, amazing way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like you know speaks in this uh, surah and how like the ideas are flowing in such a beautiful way so we'll start off with uh, the first section a'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim lam yakun alladhina kafaru min ahli al-kitab wal mushrikeen munfakkeen hatta ta'tiyahum al-bayyina okay so brief translation lam yakun means they weren't going to who weren't going to? Alladina kafaru, those who disbelieved. Min ahlil kitab, from the people of the book, wal mushrikeen, and those who did shirk. What were they not going to do? They weren't going to break apart. Munfakki means to break apart. And to fakka also means to free up, to free yourself. Okay? Like in another place in the Quran, Allah says, fakku raqaba. Uh, which highlights like this idea of freeing slaves, right? Freeing uh, slaves from being chained, okay? The munfakkeen is being separated, being freed, 
So Allah is saying they weren't, th these disbelievers from the people of the book and the mushrikeen were not going to be freed or separated until what? Until the bayna comes to them. Until the bayna comes to them. Okay. So let's stop here and, and think about uh, what is Allah trying to say here. And there's been a big debate among the mufassirun about what what were they being separated from and what's this separation? This munfakin created a big puzzle among the mufassirun. What were they being separated from? And of course, bayina here is referring to what we'll know in surah in ayah number two, Rasulun min Allahi suhafan mutahara. It's a combination of the Rasul, i.e. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and the Quran. The recitation of the pure books, which here is referring to the Quran. Okay? So what Allah here is saying is that these disbelievers, الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ Let's break it down. What does kufr mean, first of all? Because there is a big debate about, or a big confusion, actually, about what does kufr mean. And, um, you know, are all non-Muslims kuffar? Right? Is the world black and white? And, you know, just two days ago, a friend of mine, told me that uh, some students of knowledge, like who were hearing my talks and stuff, they heard me say that we should not label all non-Muslims kuffar. And he told me that, you know, a lot of people have uh, a negative image of what you're talking about and they are questioning your aqidah and that you should review yourself because, you know, kuffar, all non-Muslims are kuffar. So how can you say all non-Muslims are not kuffar? And so, uh, inshallah, I'll try to explain what my understanding of uh, kufr is based on the study of the Quran. Uh, and, and we'll try to understand what does kufr mean, first of all. Kufr means two things. One is disbelieve or deny, right? Disbelieving or denying, rejecting something. And the other meaning of kufr is to, re to hide something that is supposed to be revealed. Okay, kufr, or it was used for farmers. The kuffar were, in the Quran is used for farmers who were hiding the seeds down under the ground. Okay? Not being appreciative of the gifts that Allah has given you. That's also another meaning of kuffar, being ungrateful. Okay? So to correct myself, there's three meanings of kuffar. One is disbelief or deny. Number two is ingratitude or being ungrateful for the gifts Allah has given you. And number three, hiding the truth. The truth is there, is there it's very clear but you're hiding it, you're not making it apparent, okay? And so, you know, Wallahu A'lam, the Prophet was sent to these people in Mecca, which was a combination of mushrikun, there was some people from Ahlul Kitab, some Jews, some Christians, okay? And the Christian and Jewish community was also split into clergymen, i.e., you know, people of the, like, people of knowledge, the ulama, the scholars, and the masses. Okay? And you had the mushrikun. So that was the environment in Mecca. And so the Prophet for, for 13 years in Mecca and then you know, 10 years in Medina, that was his message to the all, all, all non-Muslims, basically. That was his message. When he was sent, there were no Muslims. And what we learn from you know, a hadith of the Prophet he says that all prophets that Allah sent to humanity since the beginning of time till now, we, we learn from the books of hadith about 24,000 prophets were sent to different people, different times, different places. They all came with which message? Which deen did they came to teach? Any guesses? What deen did they come to teach? Islam, right? So Islam. So all the followers of those prophets were Muslims of that time. And so the Prophet ﷺ is sent not with a new religion. He's sent with the same message that all the previous prophets came with. But, but then... Who defines or what, what is the definition of kufr then? Kufr, you know, according to my understanding now is there's three conditions to become a kafir. Number one, you've got to hear the message, the true message of Islam, okay? Which the Prophet ﷺ did, obviously, right? That was his mission. He, he delivered the message perfectly uh, through his character and through the message itself. They were bo both perfect. Perfect character, perfect speech, perfect book, delivered to the non-Muslims of that time. That's step number one. Number two, they understand it, which means bayan. There, ne there needs to be bayina. There needs to be understand. They need to get it. They need to, it, need to, it needs to make sense to them. Okay, so 
it's not just about delivering the message, it's about delivering it in a way that's understandable to others, right? That's why this concept is important to discuss in this surah, because it's talking about clarity, it's talking about bayyina. And so, you know, the second criteria is, it's got to be delivered in such a way that the people understand the message. And then step number three, they reject it anyway. They deny that message anyway. So there's a process to it, right? Now, question. You're a non-Muslim teacher in school. Let's look at the test. Was he presented the message with truth? Most probably. What do you think? Yes, no, maybe? Probably not, right? Number two, did they understand the true message of Islam? Probably not. If you haven't delivered it, how are they going to understand it? Number three, are they rejecting it? Even if they reject it with no understanding, it doesn't qualify for that, right? So who's failing in this, in this uh, situation? It's the Muslims who are failing to deliver the message, right? And taking it a step even before everything else, most, many Muslims today don't understand what Islam is, right? We don't understand Islam for ourselves, let alone deliver the truth to others, right? And so, so kuffar or kufr and kafirun, these aren't soft words and casual words that we should be throwing left, right, and center. Uh, to any non-Muslim that you see on the streets. Um, it's a very specific word that's, that has a lot of conditions attached to it and should not be used uh, lightly. And so, you know, these words in the Quran aren't like, uh, like the world is not black and white. There's no such thing as Islam and Kufr. No, there's different shades of Kufr. There's different shades. And we need to be people of, like, you know, when we study the Quran, we need to study it with, uh, and pay, with paying attention to these different words. I'll share with you some really cool research that I was doing recently. Like, check this out. Look at the different words Allah uses for different things in the Quran, right? So, you have Muslimun, Muslimin, Muslimat, repeated 38 times in the Quran. And then you have Alladheena Aslamu. Now, the question is, why did Allah sometimes say Muslimun as a noun and sometimes Alladheena Aslamu as a verb? Then you have Mu'minun, Mu'minin, Mu'minat, repeated 191 times. Then you have Alladheena Amanu. Repeated 219 times. What's the difference between the two? Between mu'mineen in its noun form and alladhina amanu in its verbal form. You have hunafa, which is going to be referred to here later on. Hunafa, the people who believe in this, uh, their, their belief is hanif. We'll talk about what it means later. But then look at mushrikeen, mushrikun, mushrikat. Repeated 43 times in the Quran. And then you have alladhina ashraku. Those who commit shirk seven times. Then you have kafirun and kafirin repeated 129 times. But then you have alladhina kafaru. Those who commit this act. So this is verb. So once you have noun, once you have verb. That's repeated 140 times. Then you have kuffar also. Which is also a plural form of those who disbelieve. That's mentioned 13 times. Then you have al-Yahud. Mentioned eight times in the Quran. Then you have alladhina hadu. Repeated 10 times in the Quran. Then you have An-Nasara 9 times. Then you have Ansarullah. Repeated 3 times. Then you have Al-Hawariyun, the disciples. Repeated 5 times. Then you have Ahlul Kitab. 31 times mentioned in the Quran. Then you have... So Ahlul Kitab is usually known as the people of the book, right? Then you have Alladheena Utul Kitab. Those who were given the book. Repeated 18 times. Then you have Alladheena Ataynahumul Kitab. Those who we gave the book to. Repeated 8 times. Then you have Alladheena Utu Naseeban Min Al Kitab, those who were given a portion of the book three times. Then you have Bani Israel mentioned 41 times. Then you have Al Arab mentioned 10 times. Then you have Al Majus mentioned once, Al Sabi'een mentioned twice, Munafiqeen, Munafiqun, Munafiqat mentioned 32 times. Now, what's the point of all of this? What am I trying to get to here? And by the way, the yellow ones are highlighted because they are mentioned in the surah. Okay? And so for us to just you know, simplify things and say, oh, there's Iman and there's Kufr. All Ahlul Kitab are Kufar. All Munafiqun are Kufar. All Bani Israel are Kufar. And the only people going to Jannah are the Muslims and the Mu'mins. And all the Mushrikun, Kufar, Bani Israel, Yahud, Nasara, they're all Kufar, 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 Kufar. Is, that, is it that simple, you think? Did, why did Allah use different words for different places in the Quran? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala choose specific different words for, diff for different situations and different people. So this is, this is an area of study that, honestly, like in my research, we haven't really done justice to it. As an ummah, we haven't done justice to defining 
these terms properly. We have generalized what kufr is, generalized what Islam is, and that's it. We've kept it as black and white. And that's where we have serious, serious consequences of this simplification, right? That's where you have people who, you know, uh, because they see the world as black and white, they see themselves as Muslims and everyone else as kuffar, that's when you get the extremist ideology, the terrorists, the people who, you know, are closed-minded and they just basically are labeling people as disbelievers without really understanding the depth of the Qur'an and the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I hope this was like, did it, did it make sense or did I just bore you with a lot of statistics? Makes sense, right? So it's not as simple as it seems, right? There's more depth to it and we need to be fair to the book. So, الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Allah is using a verb here, those who disbelieve, okay? From the people of the book. مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ Now let me share you my understanding of this concept of أَهْلُ الْكِتَابِ Okay? And again, you could free, feel, feel free to agree, disagree, uh, but um, do your own research. Read the Quran, look for yourself, inshallah. Okay? So, Ahlul Kitab, my understanding of that is all people who have been given a book. Okay? That includes the Jews, the Christians, right? Jews were given Torah, Christians were given the Injil, the followers of Musa, salam, and these were all divine books given to people, right? From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the same kind of continuing message of Islam, all right? So Ahl al-Kitab are people who are given the books. Under these two, there are two groups. One we look at in the surah, which are al-ladhina al-kitab, those who were given the book. Is it different than Ahl al-Kitab? Ahl al-Kitab are the people of the book. Later in the surah, we'll learn about people or actually, right in Surah uh, Ayah number four, you see them. وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابِ Those who were given the book. So what's the difference between أَهْلُ الْكِتَابِ and الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابِ The people of the book and those who were given the book. What's the difference between the two? If you read the ayat of الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابِ And أُوتُوا means given. So it's in the past tense. It's as if Allah is saying they were given the book, but they, they neglected it. They threw it behind their backs. And in Surah Al-Jum'ah, Allah describes these people as people who, you know, uh, they're carrying their books on their backs just like donkeys. Okay? So, الكتاب, those who were given the book in the past tense, always spoken about in the negative sense. Okay? And even in this ayah, Allah is saying they, they were divided. الكتاب, so it's not mentioned in the positive sense. But there's another you know, offshoot of Ahlul Kitab. So one offshoot of Ahlul Kitab are people who got the book but they neglected it and therefore they became from Utu Alladina Utul Kitab. But then there's another group in the Quran who Allah refers to Alladina Atainahum Al Kitab. Those who we gave the book to. SubhanAllah if you if you read the ayat of Alladina Atainahum Al Kitab they're all positive. Because these are people who, who gave them the book? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking credit for this. Al-Kitab. And there's this, it's used in the plural sense, giving kind of like a sense of honor to them. We honor them with this book. And they held on to it. And they, you know, lived by it. And they didn't change it. They didn't corrupt its message. Okay? So you, you understand now? So when, we, so, so when Allah talks about Ahl al-Kitab in the Quran now, what's it going to be? Positive or negative? What do you think? Any guesses? It's okay to participate. It's not haram, inshallah. So exactly. So it's a mix. Sometimes Allah praises Al-Kitab. Sometimes He talks about them negatively. Why? Because it, con it contains a positive group and a negative group. You understand this? So inshallah, when you read the Quran and you come across these different terminologies, you need to be aware of the differences. It's very simple, but very, like, I mean, I'm sad that I wasn't taught this 20 years ago, you know? And, yani, why, why haven't we defined these as an ummah? Why don't we have standards? Like, we should have a dictionary that every single Muslim home has with who is Ahl Kitab, who is Nasara, who is Al-Ladhina Al Kitab, and we should be, like, there should be unanimous agreement among the ummah on these terms, because this is the Quran. But sadly, there isn't. 
sadly we as an ummah the people of the quran do not have agreement on these terms in the quran so i don't know what we've been doing for the past 1400 years but we haven't managed to define these terms okay and that's what's creating so much ambiguity so much confusion whereas this is al-kitab al-mubin this quran is supposed to be like and all the answers are in this book it's just this we have unfortunately we have lost focus and we've focused on other sciences other areas of study and completely like you know missed the whole point of like this, these foundational uh you know pieces of knowledge that every every human being every muslim needs to have to have like a strong sense of what is right what is wrong who is a kafir who is not who is a mushrik what's the difference between kafir and shirk now another really interesting thing so so ahl al-kitab is done right people of the book and i'm also inclined i'm still not done with my studies i'm inclined to you know believe that this also includes the muslims because we were also given a book Allah is speaking in general about the people of the book which includes us also. But why did Allah separate Ahl al-Kitab from Mushrikeen? What's the main difference between the two? I'll make it very simple for you to understand. Mushrikun were people who were idol, like they were, they were worshipping idols in Mecca, right? People who were practicing paganism, right? And just to give you a history uh, of the Kaaba, the Kaaba was surrounded by 360 idols and each idol represented different tribes. And who was the custodian of the Kaaba? Quraysh. Okay. And so, being custodians of the Kaaba, they basically were taking care of the Kaaba. They were making sure that people come to the Kaaba and, and worship all these different idols. And it was big business for Quraysh. They used to attract a lot of people from different tribes who would come and commit, uh, perform Hajj and pilgrimage, right? And this would make them a lot of money. So they had money, they had status also, right? Because everyone respected them because they were the custodians of the Kaaba. Right? So they were they had a lot of respect in society. Now, what was the, their problem with Islam? The Prophet Muhammad came with a message, a very simple message of everybody's equal in front of Allah. The only thing that distinguishes you from another is your iman, your taqwa. And so this you know, big status that the Quraysh had was under threat. This uh, prestige they had in Arabia was under threat. Why now? Because now all these idols had to be destroyed. And when those tribes, when you destroy the idols of all those tribes, and you know, because the Prophet's message was the same message of Ibrahim Aisam, La ilaha illallah. There's only one God worthy of worship, right? And He is Allah. And so. Ibrahim Alayhisam's message was supposed to like be continued throughout his children, right? Ismail and Ishaq. And that's what the Prophet was doing. But why did the Mushrikeen reject it? Because number one, financial threat, number two, political threat also, right? And socially, if you think about it, they were also under threat. Why? Because now all the respect and status they had among people was gonna be gone away. Because who was gonna be the new kind of leader now? The prophet, right? And this was a big blow to them. And so they were in it, they were irritated and annoyed at the beginning. But then later on, what happened? What do we learn from Sirah? Towards the end of the Meccan period, they were basically willing to kill this man. Right? And that's what led to the Prophet leaving Mecca to go to Medina. And by the way, a lot of people think he left out of fear and, and because he was a coward. Is that true? Do you know why he really left? One of the beautiful reasons why he left was to avoid bloodshed. To avoid resistance. And we're learning a profound lesson here about like, the, the hikmah and the wisdom of hijrah. The, the fundamental wisdom of hijrah was no bloodshed and peace. And that is what the message of Islam is. Okay? So it wasn't like he was running away and that he was you know, going to establish a Islamic State to come back and fight against the Muslims, uh, against the Kuffar. No, it wasn't that. It was purely to maintain peace and, you know, to use wisdom and hikmah to preach the message and to avoid any bloodshed, basically, right? So, Ahlul Kitab and Mushrikeen. Now, another very important distinguishing factor between the two. Ahlul Kitab, think about it this way. Especially Alladina Utul Kitab, okay? They were given the book, which means what? These were like scholars of that time. Okay? Why were they why did they reject the message of Islam? Because Allah is telling us 
الذين كفروا من أهل الكتاب والمشركين. Both of them disbelieved. Those who, you know, from the people of the book and specifically those who were given the book, as well as the mushrikeen. Now we understand why the mushrikeen, we just understood why the mushrikeen rejected the book, right? It was political, economic, and social kind of pressure. Why did the, the, the Ahlul Kitab or those who Utul Kitab, why did they reject the message? And this is referring to the scholars of uh, Bani Israel, the scholars of the Jews, the scholars of the Christians. They rejected the message. Why? I mean, they, they had their divine books, right? And their books also mentioned that the Prophet was going to come and they all had like these signs in front of them. But when they found out it was from Banu Ismail, from, the, from Arabia, so there was this discrimination thing, right? How come he's not from us? Ben Israel, like, you know, especially the scholars of the Jews, they were expecting someone from their own lineage, from the children of Ishaq, right? Ben Israel and Ishaq, and they wanted someone from amongst them. They had this sense of pride and that we are the chosen people and the Arabians are the Ummiyin, right? And so they were, that was, that was the inner disease that led them to reject this message. They didn't want to follow someone else. Number two, another reason why. There was this ego of knowledge, right? Because Alladina Utul Kitab are, are, these are scholars who've studied books and they've spent ages and ages studying books and getting ijazat and having that high status among society of being knowledgeable. Now this, all of a sudden, this ummi man who can't read or write claims to have the final message. What's going to happen to their, you know, uh, scholarly status? It's going to go away, right? And so one of the other hidden reasons why, uh, or uh, one of the other reasons why they rejected the message of Islam was to keep their social status and their educational and scholarly status, that cl like clergyman status, right? So you see how they were like, due to certain corrupt intentions and certain like diseases of the heart, they actually rejected the message of the truth. So Allah is calling them الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ So now let's understand this word munfakkin. Allah is saying they weren't going to be munfakkin until the bayina comes to them. What are we learning here? We're learning here that bayina is supposed to give you this fakk, this tafkik. Bayina is supposed to give you that sense of relief and freedom. Okay? And because they denied the message, did they get the freedom or not? They didn't get it, right? The only reason Ahl Kitab and the Mushrikeen did not get this freedom that Allah wanted for them, they basically suffered for the rest of their lives, right? Because they rejected this bayina. So what are we learning here between the lines? Allah is telling us, whoever accepts bayina and lives by bayina will get the ultimate freedom in his life. The ultimate freedom. So what do we, what do we mean by that? I want to dive into this a, a bit. And I've explained it in previous places, but very important to discuss this now. So, you know, looking at the left circle, this is like the ideal life of any average individual, right? You have your, um, your spirituality in place, you have your knowledge, you have your school, your family, your work, your community. This is what you can say an average person lives by, right? You have time for Allah and then time for family, time for your community, time for work. But Allah just gets a portion of your life, right? And if you're too busy, then maybe you can skip Allah, right? Um, that was what... Quraysh wanted. That is what people with disease of the heart want, right? They want dunya also, they want like the worldly gain, and as well as like, okay, a bit of spirituality, that's fine. But what did the message of Prophet Muhammad come with? What did the message of the Quran come with? This idea of la ilaha illallah. The idea that there is, yani, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah demands us to like Islam is giving us the message of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every single aspect of your life. And through that you get your ultimate freedom. Because now you are only attached to who? Only to Allah. And when you're attached to Allah, you are free from all other worldly attachments. You're free from all sorts of social pressures. So to explain this even further, right? 
the mushrikeen, remember, they were attached to what? Money, right? Which is a form of, you can say, shirk. They were attached to money. What does Islam say? Attach yourself to Allah. Don't attach yourself to money. And so they had to make a choice. It was a very tough choice that they, have to, they had to make, right? Money or Allah. And because they had disease in the heart, they chose money over Allah. So you see how they, they were like, yani, they weren't able to get that infikak. They weren't munfakin. They, they didn't get freedom. Why? Because they wanted to hold on to their money. So think about money as this chain on their necks. Right? The chain of money in their necks. So they're constantly just enslaved to money and financial desire. And also think about their social status. They wanted to chain themselves to the social status, not free themselves with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? Same thing with the people of the book, the Alladina Utul Kitab. They chained themselves to their ego of knowledge. They wanted to keep their high status and their scholarly status. And you know, in, in our like today's times, that would mean many followers. Imagine a scholar has millions of followers, right? Would they give up that seat easily? You're traveling, you're getting so much prestige, people respect you, they you know, come to you in thousands and millions and you know, some other man comes up with a message that خلاص, he, he's claiming to be the truth and that your book is no longer valid. You're gonna lose all your fans. So. You know, the, the scholars of that time, and of course, these, these ayat rep, like, live in our times also, right? These ayat are for us. So Allah is teaching us here is that don't, like, if you keep holding on to money, then you will not be munfakkin. Because bayina gives you ultimate freedom because you are attached to Allah. So social pressure, uh, you know, family pressure. Like once I had a, uh, an Indian housemaid, you know, she was very interested in Islam and everything, and she took shahada, but the next day, she changed her mind. I asked her what happened. She said, I spoke to my husband, and, you know, like, uh, he was threatening me with divorce, and, you know, he was saying that my entire village is going to get against me, and, you know, I, I honestly, I can't take all of that pressure. So what did she choose? Instead of choosing the, the freedom that Allah gives, she chose slavery of pleasing people and this is a very common thing in our times today is we live for the sake of people we live to please people we do things to please people right we are concerned and obsessed with how people see us obsessed with our reputation and society obsessed with what people uh, say about us we constantly want to be noticed by people in the social media you want to post things that will attract more likes and more followers you want to be um, respected in society, right? And so people who live that life, they're in a way not munfakkin. They're enslaved. They're not free. And so the beautiful message of Islam, and, and you think about it this way, right? Every human being wants to be free. Every human being wants to be free. But what does shaitan do? Shaitan packages false freedom and sells it to us. He packages false free freedom in the, in the form of, um, you know, go to the nightclub or try drugs or, you know, disobey your parents and do something crazy because you can do whatever you want. That's false freedom because, yes, you may think that by leaving Islam and the rules of Islam and the Quran and, you know, it's, it's a very strict religion. Let me just free myself from these rules. What you're not realizing is that you're enslaving yourself to these desires now. You're now enslaved to drugs. You're enslaved to uh, pornography. You're now enslaved to uh, pleasing people and money and all sorts of other pressures. Whereas Allah says, leave all of that, break all those idols and come to me. I will give you the, the true taste of freedom. And that is what the Sahaba uh, did. But was it easy or not? Is it easy or not to do that? It's challenging, right? That's why they were a minority. That's why if you look at from the beginning of time, all the prophets that Allah sent, usually the minority are those who believe. The minority follow. It's always the majority who reject this message, right? And this is going to apply even in our times. The minority are always going to be the ones who actually live. They will want bayina. The minority are the ones who really want this true freedom and they don't get 
obsessed by people around them. They're not attached to money. I'm not saying money is bad or evil, but you're not attached to that. You're not attached to pleasing people. You're not attached to uh, a certain school of thought. That's another problem we have today, right? Is that people are attached not to Allah, but to their sheikh. They're attached to their, you know, uh, university, or they're attached to that specific school of thought. They're attached to certain people in the form of even scholarly people, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Quran. اتَّخَذُوا Some people, they take their priests and their shiyukh as the Rabb, مِن دُونِ from among Allah. And, and that's where blind following happens. That's where uh, people stop thinking, right? And we become people who just get stuck in the past. We stop being people of thought, people of reflection. And... Uh, we often get misled, right? So I hope this point is clear about this idea of munfakkin. Is that clear? Yes? I need to make sure I'm doing bayina and this. Uh, I need to explain with clarity, right? Otherwise, it defeats the point. So that is my understanding of what munfakkin is. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't read this anywhere in the tafasir, but I really think that this is what Allah is trying to say here. And then Allah says, Rasulun min Allah. What is bayina? The bayina is what will give you that freedom. Right? This is the beautiful part now. The, the bayina will come when you accept this message that came from this Rasul. Rasulun min Allah yatlu suhufan mutahara. So it's a combination of two things. The teachings of the Prophet ﷺ, his seerah, his akhlaq, his character, living by his character, and the Quran yatlu suhufan mutahara. And he recites suhufan i.e. scriptures that are mutahara. They're pure in and of themselves and they purify you also. Okay? That is what gives you freedom. When you attach yourself to Allah, you attach yourself to the Quran, you attach yourself to the teachings, to the true teachings of the Prophet Because okay? there, there's a lot of, you know, uh, things that have been also corrupted in his teachings. Okay? So we need to be also very careful in our studies of what are the true teachings of the Prophet that are in line with the Qur'an, that are in harmony with the Qur'an. And then Allah says, what about these suhuf? What about these scriptures that are purifying? What's in them? Allah says, fiha kutubun qayyima. In them, in these suhuf, in these scriptures, are books that are extremely valuable. Qayyima means valuable, okay? And you know, one way to look at this is, Qiyam are values. So these books contain values in them. Values that help us live upright lives. Because what do values do? Values make you straight. And someone who doesn't have values, he's crooked. Right? He's just following his desires. Whereas values help you make the right choice. It makes you live a life of responsibility, a life of uh, you know, giving and, and being someone who has care and concern for others. So these books make you a straight person. Who doesn't want to be straight? Everyone wants to be straight. When it comes to us getting our children married, we want them to get married to straight you know, spouses, right or no? So we always look for these people, but what's the biggest complaint we have today? What's the biggest complaint that people who want to get married have today? What's the biggest complaint parents have today? There's so few straight people today. And that's why like even this marriage concept, like so many people are not getting married because they're not seeing straight people anymore. Why? Because what's, what will make you straight? What makes you straight? This book makes you straight. So if you're away from this book, you will not be straight. If you're away from Rasulullah, you will not be pure. You will not be straight. Forget it. You can come up with your own ideas. You can, you can read books from the West. You can try Buddhism, you can try Hinduism, you can try all these different philosophies and ideologies. You will not be straight. Right? So, fiha kutubun qayyimah and kutub. Allah didn't say in it, this is a book of values. He said books of values. Which means what? This book, Quran, is an ocean of lessons of values. And that also, you know, um, brings another point, which is that this book is not a book of halal and haram. This is not a book of Sharia laws and you know what to do and what not to do. This is a book of values, and the Prophet ﷺ was sent, you know, as 
لأتمم مكارم الأخلاق he says إنما بعثت لأتمم مكارم الأخلاق I was sent to, to complete all values and all manners and all good أخلاق right so this is the book that makes straightens you up and what is the path that we ask Allah for 17 times every single day in our salah Surat al-Mustaqeem so you see the same word is, is is uh, embedded in it. Mustaqim means from qiyam, values. It straightens you up. This path is the path of the straight people. And, and every Friday we also recite, you know, Alhamdulillah, alladhi anzala ala abdihil kitaba wa lam We thank Allah that this book is not crooked. What is it instead? Qayyiman. It's a book that's straight and it's in and of itself, and it's a book that straightens you up also. And so Allah then says, what is the what happened to those الذين أوتوا الكتاب which we already talked about وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابِ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَةِ So these people of the, the scholars, the people of knowledge, right, who got these books and they, they neglected them. Allah is saying they, def, def, like, they started having different uh, sects among them and different ideologies and started fighting with one another. تَفَرَّق here means that they were dispersed. What's the opposite of tafarraq? Unite, right? So what does Islam teach us? Unity, right? And what does shaitan want? Disunity. He wants to break you apart, right? So because these people had Jesus of the heart, there was ego there, there was love of money. And by the way, love of money was also a big quality of the people of the, the, scho the scholars, right? They used to like, you know, يَأْكُلُونَ أَمْوَالَ النَّاسِ بِالْبَاطِلِ They used to you know, use their, their seats in like educational institutions and their scholarly status to make a lot of money. To make a lot of like, you know, to make people uh, pay them a lot of money in the name of Islam, the name, in the name of doing good deeds, right? And we know the peer business that goes on in the Desi societies and, you know, we've seen that also in, in uh, you can see that in other non-Muslim uh, religions where like the top you know uh, scholars are like multi-millionaires right they, they're like living the bling bling life and you know um, the masses are just paying them every uh, every month and every year just to you know um, feel that they're getting closer to these people so the bayina came to these people and they rejected it so now that we understand what is bayina is it clear what is bayina this was section number one right Let's move on to section number two. What was section number two? Now, what is the separator? What is this thing that's going to separate okay, the two groups? Because bayina means something that separates truth from falsehood. Yeah. The separator is, or what is Allah, what is the message of this bayina? And wallahi, yani, this ayah is so beautiful because it, it summarizes the entire message of Islam. One ayah that summarizes the entire message of Islam. Before we even get into it, what, how are we supposed to feel about this? We're supposed to be very grateful to Allah subhanahu wa Because earlier on he just said that this book has, a, this bayina has books of values in it. But he didn't burden us with reading all those books. You know like sometimes people tell you that, you know what, to become a student of Quran, first you have to study four years of sharia. Then you have to uh, memorize the entire Quran. Then you have to do a, a five-year course of tajweed. Then you need to get ijazah. And then you can start being a beginner student of the Quran. Have you heard this before? It happens a lot, right? We put so many barriers in front of people to approach this book. But Allah is saying, no, 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 no. This, mes this message, this book is simple. It's accessible to anybody and it's super easy. So what is this bayina telling them? Wama umiru. Allah starts off with this. Wama umiru. I have not commanded them except for these small things. What are the small things? Number one, illa liabudullaha mukhlisina lahuddin. Worship Allah sincerely. Right? Which we just talked about. That circle where Allah is in the center and you are free of all sorts of shirk. Ikhlas, we talked about this a few weeks ago in the tafsir or the reflection of Surah al uh, Ikhlas. Ikhlas means that you give your life to Allah 100%. Not 95%, not 50%. 100%, everything you do is for Allah. You go to study for Allah's sake. You treat your parents in a nice way for Allah. You go to the gym for Allah. You do everything 
for Allah's sake, right? You eat healthy food for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You take care of your children for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You travel in the summer to see Allah's beauty and to experience Allah's, uh, you know, beautiful creation in, in different parts of the world. So everything you do is for Allah because everything else that you do for yourself is not going to be counted on the Day of Judgment. It's not going to be on the scales. So the smart people, what do they do? They purify their lives for Allah. So that's what Allah is asking us. He's asking us, number one, لِيَعْبُدُوا مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ Give your life to Allah. Don't worry about people. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about status. Don't corrupt your relationship with Allah with these hidden diseases. And then number two, what? Hunafa. What does Hunafa mean? Hanif is the opposite of biased. Janaf and Hanaf. There's two words in the Arabic language. Janaf means when you're biased. Right? When you get when you have certain corruption and certain hidden agendas. Hanif means you're super clear and you're super focused on the goal. And that was, you know, this word Hanif is always referred to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Because what? He was the father, of course, of, of monotheism, right? And at the same time, he was someone who disassociated himself from his own father. Is that an easy thing to do? No, right? But that's that's why he's He's the example to follow, right? Because for him, the truth was more valuable than the people around him. For him, because he was Hanif, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him such a high status, Khalilullah, right? Because he was someone who was focused on the objective of life. He was focused on his purpose in life. And Allah tells us very clearly in Surah Al-Dariyat, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I've only created the jinn and the ins for one purpose and that is to worship me in, in, in your entirety with ikhlas of course right entirely with ikhlas so what else number one number two what else did Allah want from us what is this bayina's message and to establish prayer and then number three and to give in charity give zakat and this is the deen of values this is the deen and make you straight that's it. This is all of our deen, right? You don't need a big, you know, a seminar or workshop or lecture or years and years of study. It's just this, right? And here, وَيَقِيمُ salah doesn't just mean to pray, right? Allah said to establish prayer. And what do we learn? What do we mean by establish prayer? When Allah says, يُقِيمُ salah, Allah is expecting from us that salah will change us, right? A meaningful salah that will change your personality, that will make you someone who is caring, someone who is you know, merciful and kind and loving and someone who's compassionate and someone who's peaceful, right? Because what's use of salah if it's not going to make you a better person, okay? وَيُؤْتُ zakah is also a symbol for giving, right? Zakat here means two things. There's two sides to the coin. Number one, you're earning pure money and number two, you're spending it to help others. And by the way, it's super easy, like 2.5% of like your money is not a big deal, right? So very easy. Salah is supposed to be five times a day. It's very easy for us to do. Each salah takes five to ten minutes. But that's what our deen is. Give your life to Allah with ikhlas, with focus, hanif. Establish salah so you're constantly connected with Allah. And give. Be someone who is giving. Make sure you're earning the right way and giving the right way. Because what do we learn about الذين utul kitab? They earn money in corrupt ways. Okay? What did we learn about mushrikeen? They were corrupt in their financial dealings, right? It was all a big scam. This whole Kaaba and idols, it was all a big business, right? So they weren't earning uh, in the pure ways. So that is the separator. And then at the end, Allah concludes with these four ayat to describe to us what is the separation. It's basically these two groups now. On the one hand, you have people who Allah calls sharrul bariya. And then, people who are khayrul bari, and we'll conclude with this, inshallah. Okay, a couple of minutes, and we're done, inshallah. So, the first group Allah says are sharrul bariya, and the second group Allah says khayrul bari. What does it mean? Sharrul bariya means the worst of all of Allah's creation. Right? It's a pretty big statement to make. And khayrul bari are the best of all people. 
So of course we're all motivated to inshallah be of the best of all people. But first Allah takes care of though. He repeats the same description in the beginning of the surah. Those who disbelieved from the people of the book. Those who denied the message from the people of the book and the mushrikeen. They will, they are in fi nari jahannam khalidin. He didn't say they will go in a nar in the future. What did he say? They are in nari jahannam. They, they, they are in the fire of jahannam khalidin fiha. They are in it forever. They are for sure the worst of all of creation. So, what is my understanding of this? My understanding of this is. Those who deny the message of Al-Bayyina, whether they're from the, from the people of the book or the Mushrikeen, their lives in dunya before Akhirah will be Jahannam. What does that mean? Because you know we all know the fire of Akhirah, right? Jahannam of Akhirah. But is there a fire in dunya also? Wait a second. I thought fire was only for Akhirah. Well, there is a fire of dunya also. The fire of not having peace and contentment in your heart. The fire of, you know, constantly being just obsessed with money and being someone who's, you know, uh, someone who has a lot of enemies and someone who has no sense of good relationships, no love in your life, uh, greed, jealousy, envy, anger, sadness, depression, all of these psychological uh, diseases, you know, and, and health problems. These people don't think that they are going get to get away with it, even in dunya. Allah is saying, these people, fi nari jahannam. Not they will enter the jahannam, they are already in it, right? And so, yani, it's such a big motivation for us to like, be aware of this uh, terrible, terrible kind of mindset, right? And by the way, when we talk about, الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ Is this surah only talking about this Ahlul Kitab at the time of the Prophet and the Mushrikun at the time of the Prophet? What is it talking about now? Are there people of the book, Kitab, people who got the book but they rejected it today also? Or is it just limited to the Jews and the Christians? No, right? So even from among the Muslims, may Allah protect us. There are people who got the truth, they studied Islam, they understand the Quran, but because of corrupt natures, they are making money out of this, you know, they made it a business. They are fighting with one another, right? Uh, getting out fatwas against different groups just to keep their status. And of course, mushrikeen, people who do shirk, people who commit shirk, people who, you know, besides Allah, they worship money, besides Allah, they worship people some people worship themselves right they made they they basically follow their desires and whatever they want to do they do follow they follow blindly without thinking of the consequences right and all sorts of addictions all sorts of obsessions today people are obsessed with different things entertainment gadgets movies i don't know whatever it is right uh, some people claim to say i can't live without music right this is, these are mini idols in your hearts that we need to get rid of. Otherwise, you, you qualify in this uh, category because you're attaching yourself to all these things that's just going to make your life more and more miserable, right? And then Allah on the contrast now, a sigh of relief. Inna ladina amanu, those who believe. And is belief alone in, enough? No. Wa'amilu salihat. And then do righteous deeds. Do deeds. And salihat here is like... A, Allah is not demanding much. He didn't say a'mal saliha, a lot of good deeds. He said just a few good deeds. Amil salihat, a few deeds that fix things. Saliha means to fix things that are not working. Those who believe and do deeds of fixing, whether it's fixing yourself, fixing your family, fixing your society, your community, even if it's through like your business, you're fixing a problem, you're, you're helping people in some, some way, you're providing a service or a product that helps make this world a better place and makes life easy for others. These are the ones who are the best of all of humanity. What will they get? And see, Allah here added an extra ayah for the believers. Just to show how happy he is, he is with us, right? For the disbelievers, there was just one ayah. 
believers get an extra ayah. Jazaahum عند ربهم The reward with their master, their caretaker is what? Jannatun or Jannatu Adnin Tajri min tahtiha al-anharu khalidina fiha abada And again, is this Jannah only in Akhirah? Jannat, Allah didn't just say Jannah wahida, not just one Jannah, Jannat. You will experience, inshallah, Jannah in dunya before Akhirah. You will experience Jannah in your you know, financial uh, affairs. You will experience Jannah in your family life. You will experience Jannah in your health. Experience Jannah in all your affairs. And, and subhanAllah, you know, Tajri min tahti al-anhar, just as I was driving here, like a thought, thought came to my mind. Why does Allah keep saying Tajri min tahti al-anhar in the Quran? River, like, you know, gardens beneath which rivers flow, right? We keep hearing it, right? But subhanAllah, you know, um, if you think about it, one of the experiences of Jannah and dunya is when things flow in your life with ease. You want to get married, your spouse flows into your life. You want your business to be successful, the, the sales flow into your business. You want to be healthy, health flows into your life. You know, all your problems get solved with ease and, and, you know, no resistance. So subhanAllah, maybe that's what Allah also means here. Allahu alam. That people who are believers and do amal salih, Allah gives them a life where everything flows with ease, with ease into their life. And, we, and to confirm this, Allah says in other places in the Quran, right? That, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ Whoever has taqwa of Allah, whoever fears Allah, whoever is... Conscious of Allah. يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا He opens all the closed doors in their lives. وَيَرْزُقُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَعْتَسَبُ And He will provide them from places they can never imagine. And so, Wallahu alam, this is another uh, reflection on تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ Like rivers are flowing, everything is flowing in your life. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا You will be in it forever, in dunya and akhira. And then Allah goes on. He's so happy with these people. رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا Allah is pleased with these people and they are pleased with Allah. Why is Allah mentioning this here? Because to be from this minority group of believers, are people going to be pleased with you? What do you think? Are the majority of people going to be pleased with you or are you going to be suffering resistance and you're going to have a lot of enemies maybe, right? So Allah is saying, don't worry, I'm pleased with you. And you'll be, and, and even for these, these believers, they're not interested in pleasing people. And they are pleased with Allah. They're pleased with all the gifts and blessings that Allah is giving them. And they're pleased with this bayina that Allah has given them. And they're pleased with this experience of Jannah to Adnan Tajri min Tahti al Anhar. And then Allah says at the end, Who is this for? This, all of this. All of these rewards, this Jannah, these gardens, these uh, rivers, are, is for who? Who gets it? The one who fears his Rabb. And subhanAllah, it's such a beautiful way to end this is because what does fear have to do with all of this? Think about it. What's the connection between fear and this entire surah? Why did the mushrikeen reject the message of Islam. It was fear of losing money. It was fear of losing status. It was fear of not having influence. Why did Ahl al-Kitab and the kitab reject the message? Fear of losing their fans. Fear of losing their status. Fear of losing their popularity. And so we're learning here is that through fear of Allah, we become fearless with everybody around us. And that is the ultimate like, personality that uh, a human being can have, right? That is why the Sahaba were fearless when it came to battles. Why? Because they knew Allah was with them. They knew that Allah was going to send angels. Even if the numbers double, triple their size. No worries, no problems. So that is the level of yaqeen someone has when they are truly attached and connected to Allah and Allah alone. And they fear nobody but Allah. And this fear is not a fear of being scared of Allah as if he's a monster, ma'adullah. No, it's a fear of him being a higher authority than you. It's human nature to be to have the sense of awe when there's a higher authority, right? You have a fear of the principal in school, don't you? 
You have a fear of your, peer, of your parents if you do something wrong. You have a fear of the police when you're driving fast. So it's human nature to have the sense of fear. So what we're learning here is that people with arrogance and ego, they don't have fear of Allah. Right? Whereas people of humility, people of Iman, people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who choose this lifestyle, they have fear of Allah, which makes them fearless of everybody around us. And, and these will become the true leaders of society because they are unshakable, right? They have so much self-confidence, so much, you know, um, like positive attitude because Allah is with them all the time. And when Allah is with you, everything is possible. And when Allah is with you, help will come in every way, shape or form. With that, we conclude our surah today. Barakallahu alayhi wa lakum. Subhanakallahu bihamdik. Nashhadu la ilaha illa ant. نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته